You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. Today, my guest is our David Breden. He is a fellow Blog to Watch team member. And we're going to chat a little bit today about watch trade shows. Um, watch trade shows are something that we haven't gone to in like two years, and they are coming back. And we're going to talk about them coming back. But for most of the show, we're going to talk about trade shows of past. We have seen things that will never happen again. We've had some of our most strange and amazing experiences at some of these trade shows. David, do you miss them? I miss them big time. You know, this is what this podcast is about. I was looking forward to this discussion and just going back a little bit and also looking forward, you know, to where, you know, what is it that we can look forward to in the next coming years? But, you know, to begin with, um, you know, just thinking back of like SIHH in Basel World of like 2013, 14, 15, whatever it was, it feels like it was in a different life, let alone just a couple of years ago. So what do you miss particular? I mean, we need to give people a visceral sense of what it was like to be at these things. We need to sort of describe some of the imagery, the sights and the sounds. I mean, think of Basel World, the show mm. that disappeared and may now reappear. It was no, it was Basel World. It was dead. It was our universe. Maybe it's not Basel World again. We don't know. Yeah. But going into Hall 1, mm. where there was these booths and there were really little mini buildings i mean i always make fun of everything in europe being small but this was not small these were <laughs> anything but little yeah these massive little buildings inside of big hall one of these brands you know rolex patek philippe you know lvmh swatch group brands for yes. many years yeah like so much of these big names this was so larger than life just walking mm. in there was like what i imagine it's like to go in like this old Egyptian city with all these temples mm -hmm. and things like that. You were just meant to be impressed. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Um, you know, my favorite thing about them was, was that I could, I could feel like, wow, this is really happening. This is an actual industry with actual people in them, you know, just doing business, like looking forward to this next year, just doing deals and designing watches and just the whole thing was alive. And it had this great energy of, 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 of production of like new, of creativity. And now that we are in this, online space with occasional zoom meetings and presentations and and all that you, you miss that you miss that sight of hundreds and thousands of people just walking across you know just whole one just running from one meeting to the other and i could feel like the watch industry was not only in its name and industry but it was this powerful thing and and that felt great just to be there and experience this for me there was two main phases of going to these trade shows. And the first phase was me going alone. This is prior mm. to when a blog to watch was a big enough team. And I went alone. <laughs> and then the later phases were, were going as a team, whether it be four or five or six of us, you know, going collectively to the show. And, you know, these phases were different because the second phase where it was a team, it was enjoyable for a def very different reason. Um, it wasn't any less hard work. We always had to work very, very hard. I mean, these things were basically like marathons for us physically. Yeah. But when we was a team, we were basically going as a business. And when it was, I was alone, I was going as like the blogger. Hmm. And I was the first digital media person, blogger, as many people called me, hmm. that penetrated a lot of the luxury brands. I wasn't the first blogger, but there wasn't really an interaction with the luxury brands. 
And what I literally had to do at these trade shows is go to the booth and demand that I speak to someone. Because what people don't understand is that it's not a tr- these weren't trade shows in the original sense where you go around and everyone can see everyone. The brands actually don't want to show their stuff. <laughs> they have these houses where there's some display cases. Fortresses. Fortresses. And you can see some watches, but it's literally a, a trickle of what they actually have. For you to see product, you need to be invited within, and then someone needs to show it to you. It's a very time-consuming process, mm. uh, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, and and that's the way to see it. And so to be entered in, I had to literally go to the door and knock and be like, hello, will you let me in? And try and try again and be very, very persistent. And what I don't think a lot of people appreciate now, and again, I'm not looking for credit, but I had to open these doors. Like I had to be the assertive, um, aggressive, you know, guy and basically said, hey, let me in. You know, we we, we want to, I want to shoot these watches. I want to share them. It's, it's, it's helping you sell stuff. <laughs> and now I think people take that for granted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Digital. I, I remember, you know, if, what people have to understand is that at this point, the digital, you know, uh, these brands, basically all of them, their digital presence was non-existent. They, they basically tried to deny that there was anything digital, like a website or anything like that, you know, as, 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 for as long as they could, you know, like no YouTube, no, no, like actual proper websites where you could see stuff and learn stuff. Of obviously no social media because it technically didn't really um, exist yet. I mean, there was like my, MySpace and stuff like that, but you know, that was just completely different and, you know, much less of a global thing. And so you had to push one of the most antiquated and most, you know, just hardcore traditionalist industries into the digital age where, you know, all they had to work with was, as far as media was concerned was print and print went there and they were like, oh, you know, we publish every two months or we publish, you know, two, two issues a year or something like that. Everything was just super laid back and slow and all that and controllable. And when it's digital, it's it's totally out of their control. And this is why for so long, you know, Patek was not on, on YouTube or, or not on social media, Rolex, these big brands joined social media only a few years, and they do me just a few years ago. You know, imagine that. That sounds totally unimaginable if you go back two years. Now imagine what they were like 10 years or 10 plus years ago. Okay, so I don't know if you remember this, but you may a little bit. When I first started going to Basel World, oftentimes there wasn't even internet, right? <laughs> so the city itself made it very difficult. I had to do the most cockamamie things just to actually have internet while I was in the city. So Basel. Internet internet at the show came later still, and <laughs> internet-delivered media came even later. Do you remember all the times we were given CD-ROMs, USB drives, yeah. and that's how we got the assets? And catalogs. It was never Don't online. Forget, printed catalogs. Oh, of course, of and course. Books. But it, all kinds of stuff. Now... We actually, we actually get, we laugh because we think it's cheap, but we'll get like a printed paper card that has a website on it. We're like, yeah. like, you know, this is stupid. Like give yeah. us, you know, I actually miss the USB drives, Yeah. but we had to actually experience a digital revolution in this space. So I entered, I was a digital first media member, which was odd because everyone was print first and then some became digital later. So I always had this advantage because I never had to transition. It was always yeah. sort of internet first, but there wasn't any 
internet media side mm. to the watch industry when I entered. It didn't exist yet. Yeah, but the funny thing is, it totally existed for other industries. It existed for the car industry. It existed for, obviously, for the tech oh, industry, yeah. for travel, for fashion. All these kinds of things were already online at a time when Basel had not even edge or something like that that you could just you don't oh get any mobile internet there was no wi-fi you had to like find an ethernet cable or some other thing you know just yeah i had to get the um, <laughs> you know those little things they called my five where i had to get like a sim card yes. and i would put it into essentially yeah. a modem that turned into a little hotspot and you had to do all this cockamamie like in airbnbs or before airbnb like it wasn't even assumed that hotels had internet sometimes i remember saying hotels in switzerland that did not have internet it was insane to me. Um, and again, I, I guess I understood it, but you know, this is within the last 15 years. I wow. remember when the internet connection speed was so bad in Basel that it was like an all-night process to upload a single video to YouTube. Uploading files sometimes would take forever, downloading things. like There was all these weird technical things that have in large part been smoothed over in recent years. But like this is an issue. You know, having enough internet bandwidth was a serious problem for at least half of my time going to these trade shows. Yeah, exactly. All right. So they have improved in that regard, that's for sure. But at the same time, you and I <laughs> and, and the team have, have basically witnessed, just right in front of our eyes, if we go back like five years, five years ago, whole one of Basel where, where all the fancy brands are and all the people are, it was buzzing. It was for the first couple of days. It was just, just crazy. It was a stampede. It was exciting. It was it exciting. Was yeah. super exciting. And just a, a, an actual literal stampede of people wearing like moderately elegant clothes and stuff like that. And so over the last few years, we watched it just dry up and just, you know, fewer and fewer and fewer people came as, you know, uh, big brands pulled the um, advertising money from print. A lot of the print went away. So a lot of the print people, you know, went away and distribution, you know, they were just beginning to hold more and more tightly onto distribution so less you know fewer distributors came and we could see that this buzz was going away up to a point where the last puzzle where we were just standing in there and the first day in whole one felt like the last day three years ago maybe the last evening or something like that you know so there was this huge transition okay i have to say something really important right here so many people have blamed basel world or the trade shows in general for dwindling attendance and stuff like that. And I, I have to take issue with that. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things that they could have done better and that they will do better in the future. But I believe the problem is the, the shrinking of the actual economy of the watch industry itself. There have been fewer and fewer and fewer people in the watch industry, which makes sense uh, when you ask yourself why there's less audience, less retailers around the world, less salespeople, less distributors. The brands have tried to verticalize so much, including retail and sales, that a, a smaller number of people would have to go to a trade show to begin with. There's just been less people to go. Absolutely. And I think that it's it's been a, a bigger problem of not enough spending. I mean, I joke about this a lot, but you know, this is a luxury watch industry, but it's run by people that act like they're persistently about as poor as they can be. They don't want to spend any money. They're basically misers. They're trying to hold on to everything. Yeah. And that mentality... Um, you know, when they had to rely on third-party distributors to sell in other markets, it made sense. Basel World and the trade shows like it served a very important purpose. And I'm not sure if everyone knows this. People who were retailers would come, make orders, like put down money, 
<laughs> then wait a few months. Those watches would be produced after those deposits were put down. Those watches would start to be delivered. It would be sold in the home in the home markets of the retailers, the U.S. or, or Asia or wherever it might be. Um, and then they would come the next year and put in new orders. And so the trade show is literally a very important commercial opportunity for retailers to see new product and decide how to spend their budgets. And, and the watch brands and jewelers knew that these retailers were coming with just like boatloads of money. Hmm. Each retailer had like several million dollars minimum to spend. Yeah. And <laughs> these retailers would be romanced by these brands because it was this desperate game to get their dollars. And we as media fell into the later years of this romantic period where they would be given parties and entertainment and celebrities and just all kinds of stuff because watch brands really wanted their business. When the market started changing, the retailers started going away, and a lot of this business was done online or outside of Basel World, the commercial purpose of these shows altered, and therefore the spending stopped. Yeah, it's not like these, all these people chose not to go because Basel World was inconvenient and stuff like that. You know, it was it was not great. It is very inconvenient. It though. was hugely inconvenient and, you know, not the best <laughs> way of spending that much money on, on anything, basically. But, <laughs> you know, it, it was so funny. You could spend however long you wanted and talk to however many you want, uh, people you wanted in Basel, during Baselwood. Literally nobody, not from the brands, not from the visitors, ever said that, ah, oh, this was a great way to spend all this money. You could never hear that. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of funny and yet we all went and we all you know we we all got our you know uh, work done there and you know a lot of good things happened there so so that's that, that's this kind of buzz that i that i miss and and it's a different industry now it's not just that the, like you say the industry has changed and a great many things have changed behind the scenes and it's not just that trade shows were inconvenient to go to and that's why people don't go anymore it's totally totally i mean look basel and to and to a slightly lesser degree geneva are not really designed for conventions. Basel, I think, is interesting because the city itself does not actually have enough hotel rooms or parking or public transportation. So there was this convention center in basically an industrial working city that was not set up for conventions. And so staying in a hotel was not even an option unless you wanted to commute. And what was I going to do? Rent a car? It would, it would cost a fortune just to park it, you know? So we had to rent out apartments and like there was all these shenanigans involved in just going like next month, I'm going to be going to, uh, to Couture and JCK in Las Vegas, a return to these American, uh, watch and jewelry. No trade shows and rooms there, that's for sure. Yeah. No, no shortage. Like it's never been an issue about where do I stay when I go to Vegas? Like there's no, you're always going to find a room. You know, you had to plan months in advance, like six, seven, eight months, and sometimes a year to secure your Basel lodging. Sometimes like, you, you have going, to stay literally in another country, like I did sometimes in Germany. You know, <laughs> I remember there was this there was this huge, uh, you know, what was it like scandal when when one of the the bloggers, maybe from Fratello, I'm, I'm you know, don't, don't quote me on this. Oh, the, the Dutch guys. It was the Dutch yeah. guys for sure. And and he he got you know he, he was stopped by the customs officers at the freaking train station when he went to the. To, to the show and he would have been allowed to bring two watches but he had like eight or something like that and he got fined for several thousands upon thousands of Swiss francs and you know maybe like the watches were to be confiscated and stuff like that and he had to pay all these tremendous fines because he was accused of dealing with so these a watches me a model. member of the media 
traveling from the Netherlands to Switzerland for a trade show, yeah. brought his own personal watches yeah. that these authorities assumed were going to be resold, and then charged this clear media person who is not a retailer yeah. tons of money in taxes. And they really they tried to take it over the government and the trade show. I, I really don't know what ended up happening. But yeah, like I, I remember I was like harassed by uh, people at the Basel World Airport. There is I'm not Basel World, Basel Airport. There's a small airport there um, on the way in. And they were like, what are these watches? I had to like prove to them I was a media person. And then they were like scared. They're like, uh oh, like the city would pray in many ways upon the people going to the show. And then there's the whole story about them raising the prices for food and accommodations and all kinds of stuff uh, just during the Basel World show, like the 10 days, like the oh, prices yeah. of things would triple. They would have special Basel World menus, it's true. Restaurants would have a series of menus that they would pull out for Basel <laughs> World that had more higher prices. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the GDP of Basel was basically 80% of it was, <laughs> you know, just yeah, accumulating so was, over, the, over the course of that week. There was no respect. There was no appreciation. Yeah. Thank you, Trade Show, for coming to our city. It was like, oh, these people are coming. Let's fleece them for all they got. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And for, and, but I mean, there was, the, again, the social situation was fantastic. The ability to, to see people. The, the, all this context made for some of the most amazing experiences. Like, you don't have those experiences in in Vegas because Vegas is set up for all the glitz and all the convenience and all the comfort. When you have to have this luxury event in what is not a very luxurious place, it just adds a whole different flavor to mm. it. And I think that's some of what we miss because it, absurdity is what sort of adds this flavor to life that makes things interesting. And a trade show is in Vegas is fun and useful, but rarely ever absurd. Yeah. So let's talk about SIHH, for example, just a little bit, because that, that was a little bit more, in a way, upmarket or more tightly controlled because it was all organized by Richmond or basically FHH, but FHH, uh, the Auto Lottery Foundation, belongs to Richmond anyway. So so for the Richmond brands, and then it expanded, and then for some time they were to be, you know, to exist at the same time or roughly the same time, you know, in uh, with, with Basel, but that didn't happen because of COVID and all kinds of other stuff. But I remember going to the first SIHH of mine that was like 2015 or 2014, and it was this luxurious event that was just beautifully controlled. And I felt like, okay, so this is what a big group's control over a bunch of brands feels like or looks like, uh, you know, on the surface at least. And then, of course, it has all kinds of issues that, that come with, you know, big group ownership that we're not going to talk about today. But, you know, it was just, it was like Basel, but a different type of energy. It was just more controlled, more elegant, more luxurious, more high-end, but also the brands were just, you know, fewer brands, not hundreds upon hundreds of brands like at Basel, but like 15 brands or 18 brands or something like that. And it was just such a great experience to be there. You know, it's something that you bring with you for the rest of the year, you know, just that, that kind of, you know, presence of the brands. And then you look forward to the next next event or the next expression of these brands, because this is also a physical expression of these brands. It's not a boutique that just is for customers and stuff like that. No, it's for just for the industry. It's the industry speaking to itself, one brand showing off to the other, you know, one brand trying to impress its distributors or its, you know, its business partners and stuff like that. So, you know, it was just, it was just a great experience. How do you recall your first SIHH, for example? Well, okay. So first I want to say that my experience with SIHH yeah. is different than a lot of other people's yeah. <laughs> and david's experience is actually quite common there's a lot of people 
who really look forward to the event. It is a nice, nice to be at event. There's people dressed up nicely. It doesn't have a trade show appearance at all. It's elegant. It's like being in sort of like a really big hotel kind of. It's um, in in a lot of ways, it's it's like being at a fun party. You know, there's always somebody serving champagne. There's always always somebody serving snacks. There's a lot of amazing conversations to be had. SIHH is more like a gala event and a party and networking, and it, it's it is it is really really great. For me, my first experience there was a little bit of a culture shock because I was a working media professional trying to shoot watches, do some video, lugging a lot of gear. I had a lot of meetings to take. I had to move from point A to point B quickly. Uh, I had to do so in relative comfort. And, you know, it started this weird standoff between not just me, but sort of what I represented as a sort of new era of, you know, digital media professional um, and these sort of expectations of these luxury events. You know, uh, a lot of people dress up there. Now, I'm carrying all this gear. You know, I, I can't wear a suit and tie. It's just impractical. Like, I basically have to dress as a photographer, but, like, they would be offended. I mean, they wrote a policy one year. I'm pretty sure it had to do with me. It was like they sent it out to thousands of people. It was like there's a no uh, T-shirt policy, and you're not allowed to wear sneakers, and you have to look elegant. Like, they had a whole memo they sent out. And then Something I did to somebody uh, at SIHH one year pissed them off. I don't know what it was. And they didn't want me to come back. Mm -hmm. um, and then I fought really hard and I did get back in. And it was sort of this thing because I was the first person to ever be <laughs> uninvited and reinvited yeah, in the same year. That's hilarious. I put up an ama a massive fight. I was told that I would never be told what it was that I pissed off and or who or whatever I did and not even to ask and to just let this go, you know, <laughs> pass by me into the night. Hmm. Um, but for me, that experience was REL versus the European watch industry. And hmm. I was coming in and I was making a statement that I am the face of modern media. You better, you better like it because we, you know, we are what you need and you, you better be complicit. And they, but they fought back and, that sort of kind of defines a lot of my career. Whereas like I'm, I'm helping them, I'm giving them customers and attention and, and lots of sales. And they're like, but it's not the way we wanted it. You yeah, know? Exactly. And, and it's always been this fight because it's been, I've had to justify my rights to help that help make them money and somehow profit myself, uh, you know, in, in kind. And it's always had to be this negotiation with them about what I wear and all this dumb sh and all this dumb stuff. And, you know, it <laughs> again, if I was at an American trade show, nobody would think twice about what I was wearing. But the fact that they had these expectations of we're supposed to go there and kiss the ring. It was always this joke amongst the Americans that the, the it was like visiting, you know, the, the king in, in Switzerland and having to, you know, entertain him in his court and, and, and you know, uh, flatter all the ladies and hope that, you know, you, 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 you said all the right political things and, and that they'll invite you back next year. Like it was. It was always a very strange thing, and it wasn't really about business. It was more about politics. And so, you know, it mm. had the words like trade show and da-da-da-da-da, and it was supposed to be a professional event when in reality it was a giant, I don't know, it was, a, it was like a giant dinner party where you had to know where to sit and who to talk to and what your role was. And it, we were like pieces of furniture at Richemont's massive event, and it was fun. But we were literally there to attend their party. 
Yeah, I think to go there and kiss the ring, I think that's 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 an excellent uh, expression uh, in in the way that it is handled. Um, at the same time, I you know being European, I, I feel like you know I, oh, there are just some of these how should I say these habits or these customs I should say and 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 the expectations that come with them and you know some parts of Europe especially you know obviously they they really genuinely don't like these customs to be challenged they are like. You know, someone just wants to bring down. You know, like, and then you know, it's 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 just the way it is, and and the way it was. But uh, you know, it literally and genuinely and truly was a fight uh, in, in a way. You know, and uh, what ha- what habits? Like, what are you talking about? Habits? Like, like how how you dress, like for a certain event or for a certain type of place or a certain whatever, and how how long you small talk before you can get your work done, or how much work it, this is actually true. how much work you are allowed to get done in a one-hour meeting it, that's literally actually a thing you know and it, it's just funny but that's the way it is you know you're supposed to like schmooze a little bit and just you know compliment you know all the compliment all the nice surroundings and stuff and you know we would just go there like a bunch of like you you know pods and just just shout the watches let us take video and pictures because we, we knew that we would need every last minute of those 60 minutes or whatever 55 minutes that our schedule would allow us because we actually are here to take pictures and video of these watches and get some hands-on impressions and then bring them to the world through through our website and and you know this is not what they were accustomed to because for years and literally decades they were used to the much much slower moving print media that didn't take any pictures of anything ever for any reason whatsoever or care or Or care care. (laughs) yeah some of the time yeah i guess you can say that so so it was just this big shift in terms of like oh this is a trade show and people actually come here to get some work done other than schmooze and just you know sign some papers and just make sure that business is still going okay and i'm not i'm not saying that you know like there aren't some heated negotiations for you know like business negotiations that are going there and there's a lot of tension there that doesn't involve cameras and taking pictures and stuff. But for us, if we have 55 minutes, then we will make the most of those 55 minutes. And it has come to a point, I remember frequently, that we would have to quite literally beg for watches. Like, we know you have this. Can you please bring us this freaking watch so that we can take pictures of it? You know, because it's like, we are here. We travel all the way here, and then we are not being shown watches. That How often would that happen? Or that they would have like one single prototype as though they didn't know that Basel was happening or SIH was happening. It just came as a surprise that they actually have to show like a new watch to some people there. So yeah. It took it took them years to get to the point where they would be set up for us. And they incrementally, year after year, starting in, I don't know, maybe 2012 or 2013, they started making themselves more and more media friendly. And they would ask us questions, they would consult mm. with us. Yeah. I remember Brand Tagheuer, for example, great experience. They were like, Ariel, we want to set up a space for people like you to take pictures. What would you like that space to look like? What would you like it to have or not have? And and they did it and it worked and everyone was happy and, and they said thank you. And it, it started to get a lot better when there was more of a collaborative side to it. And there were certain companies where we always felt like it was a close collaboration. We literally worked together. But then there's those other companies where it was always a strange, combative <laughs> experience between us being like, let us do our job, people, and then being, no, no, our way is the luxury way. <laughs> you know, and that's, <laughs> and, and there was always that awkward thing about like, whose rules apply in this meeting? Is it the, the maisons or yeah. is it the bloggers? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that, that, that's that's too funny. It's funny because it's true. Uh, so, what's the what does the watch exhibition landscape look like for us for the next like one to 
three years, let's say? What is it that we have to look forward to? Yeah, so, I mean, we got stuff coming up within a month. And today, I don't even know if it's going to be happened for us, but I got the announcement the Hong Kong Watch and Clock Show is going on. Now, we have to talk about that in a minute. Um, But the Hong Kong Watch and Clock Show is... By the, the name is very clear. A watch and clock show in Hong Kong. Oh, is it not in Shanghai or Shenzhen or Guangzhou? It's an actual Hong Kong. <laughs> David and I have been to this several times. Yep. Um, the first time I was ever in Hong Kong was because of this event. Mm. And, you know, that's a whole other thing. That was a totally different kind of show. <laughs> whole other conversation. Very interesting, but There's... truly, truly... Uh, a, a special place that I can't wait to, to go back mm. to. There's a whole um, bunch of Swiss let, people there, let's be clear, but they are there as buyers, basically, you know, looking for suppliers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's another topic. Anyway, so so next month, we're both going to be at different watch shows, if you want to call that. You're going to be in Geneva. I'm going to be in Las Vegas. Mm. I'm going to go for Couture and JCK, which are two trade shows that have been happening for a while that we've been to that are going to have outsized importance for us because we haven't seen a lot of these brands. There's still a lot of questions about who's going to show up. They don't even have a, an exhibitor list wow. yet. So that's kind of amazing. I know it's like not, it's, it's less than a month out and that that's not even up. Um, but we're going to go either way and we're going to see as many brands as we can and shoot a lot of stuff. There's going to be four of us there. It's going to be good. I mean, uh, it's, it's Vegas and moves are, moves are positive. I wish I could also do what you're doing, which is literally overlapping with these shows. Yeah. I don't know why. That means people in Europe can't go to both. Great planning, but this always happens. Tell us about what's going on in Geneva. Yeah, so this is the second, I guess is the second installment of the Geneva Watch Day. So it's basically organized mainly by Bulgari and Breiling. I think they are they are the two flagship organizers of this whole event. And then there's... Uh, a host of other smaller brands and, and not just not just really small ones. It's it's uh it's it's pretty great actually. Let, let me look up the exhibitors list because it's been changing all the time. It's at the end of August and then in early September. And and, and this is like a city jaunt, right? Because rather than it being a trade show environment, these brands take spaces in smaller hotels. So you sort of do a stroll around downtown Geneva. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually quite lovely. Assuming the weather's going to be nice, which I imagine it will at the end of August. Yeah. Um, this should be a lovely time for you. It's going to be a lot of nice lunches and coffees. I mean, you're you're in for a, uh, honestly, I'm a little bit jealous. Yeah, it's um it's it takes place in a bunch of different hotels, basically Hotel Borivage and the Fairmont and just you know, just a couple of hotels next to one another. And uh, and also some of the brands exhibit in their own boutiques and locations that they have there. So it's it's Breitling, it's Bulgari, it's Tabatun, it's Gerard Perago, Moser, Woolwork, Ulis Nardan, MBNF. And then a host of smaller brands like Arnold & Son and Grupo Forse and Parmigiani and, you know, just, just a lot of them to look forward to. And also Oris, Frederic Constant, Ferdinand Bertou, even Constantin Chaikin I see is now on the list. That's great. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing him again. So, so yeah, there's, there's just a whole bunch of things. And uh, last year was great. This year, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit like, let's all turn up at the same place at the same time and call it an event, but there's not much actual other organization than that. It's basically, it's already, it feels like as though it was a big deal that they could get this to happen at the same time, at the same place, and then that's it. How you get there, where you stay, what your schedule is like, who does what at and, and at what point? 
no information whatsoever. So you're you know, just flying blind. But let me let me ask you a question. You remember several years ago, yeah. I said that the watch industry was going to shrink by probably about 50%. Mm-hmm. How far along have we gone? Have we got to 50% yet or are we, <laughs> are we not at 50% yet? No, because a, a lot of what you're talking about is indicative of a shrinking industry, You know, not being able to put together a, a coordinated event, not enough people to do it. Mm. Um, you know, Was I right? Yeah, and, 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 then it, and then they will be able to put it together when it's just three big brands or three big groups and then that's it. You know, Because here, for example... Um, it's, it's just a bunch of independents. If you look at it like that, Breitling is independent. Bulgari is part of LVMH, but operates completely independent, basically more or less completely independent from all the other brands for a host of political and other um, ownership reasons and stuff like that. So Bulgari is flying, you know, separate from Hublot, Tech, Hoyer, and Senate. So it's, it's again, it's different. Ulistardan, again, is Angera, Perigo, they are together, but they are still, you know, independent from the big ones. Moser, Uwerk, again, it's, it's, just, it's just a bunch of smaller brands um, and this is an independent thing. And I guess, you know, there isn't all that money to throw at like a huge and expensively operated uh, organizer, you know, company or whatever. But still, I hope that they can, you know, just improve. Uh, and and remember, these are companies that have multiple products at any given time that cost more than $100,000 each. Yep. Uh, you know, a lot of them have really, really big uh, financial backing and things mm. like that. Yet they somehow always have the least amount to spend. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to to complain so much as I am trying to describe what it's like because it's not really clear to a lot of people. They really think that you know this is all a very well funded environment where it's, it's totally it's not like you said well barely put together at times yeah. barely put together. It, it used to charming. there used to be a lot more money thrown at it. it these days. We're not really sure where it all went. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just as ineffective, but you know, you're just ending up spending two zeros less on the on the whole thing. So you get the same effect, but you have spent two zeros less, and then you know that this is somehow okay. And the, you know, I can also appreciate the fact that you know maybe they are just building this up from you know you know just just from the bottom once again, and, and see you know where you know how these these things play out. Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blog to Watch store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the Blog to Watch store. Right now, the Blog to Watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blog to Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow-in-the-dark face. The Blog to Watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now, and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. Is there a Basel Award next year? And is there an SIHH next year that we can we can look forward to? Yes. So in uh, I think late April or late no late March early April, there's going to be um, Watches and Wonders Geneva, which is going to be the major trade show. Uh, you know, in Europe. And then I think right after it is supposed to be whatever the new Basel world's going to be. So I think the idea is that we, we go there and we stay for both. 
Sounds like a plan. Okay, that's that's cool. If it is happening, but let's hope that it is. I mean, look, it's scheduled. I mean, the anticipation on people's minds is that international travel will return. And let's be honest that the, the lack of having easy international travel has been one of the single biggest problems mm. for the watch industry during the pandemic. It really relies on people being able to travel for leisure because a lot of people buy watches when they're on vacation. And they have these events all the time. And to to do the sort of VIP thing that they do well, they have to be able to invite people, invite media, invite retailers to these exotic events in different parts of the world as part of the relationship building side of, of you know selling the product. And they haven't been able to do that. So travel is so crucial to the industry. And when that's hampered, it's difficult for them to figure out what to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're assuming and hoping that travel will return. I think by 2022, it will more so than now, but I don't know. Yeah, well, let's see. Um, it will be, I guess, you know, different. Let, you know, I'm not even sure who's going to exhibit it uh, at Basel now that, you know, all the big groups, you know, just have basically more or less pulled out from it. Um, SIHH again, I think I think that's going to grow that, you know, maybe SIHH will attract or Watches and Wonders, I should say will attract a few more independents, you know, in the way that they have been gathering the last few years, just sucking them away from Basel. Um, but yeah, if the timing is, is good, then, you know, and, and with a bit of luck, we can go to these two huge events and see a bunch of watches again at the same time, at the same place. And that would be just, just really great. And also I was going to mention in, with regards to Geneva Watch Days this year, you know, that this is happening end of August and early September. Last year, if you guys remember, um, Rolex launched its, its novelties early September. So I actually stayed in Geneva for two more days because for, you know, obvious that they couldn't just do it at the same time or, you know, just do it like literally the next day. No, it had to be like two or three days after. But they did actually do a, a hands-on like physical presentation of their novelties at the Rolex headquarters, if you happen to be there, which I did. Yeah. And so this year, I hope to <laughs> to be able to go there and take the fancy elevator to the first floor, <laughs> just, uh, which is a whole kind of, you know, just another story. Like the Rolex HQ is just a very special place too, but I think that merits another, you know, Rolex merits another episode. Like let, the one okay, did let, let's go back. Yeah. Let's go back to about 10 years ago. Mm. And let's talk a little bit more about, about that time. Okay. What are some of the weird like what are some of the weird things that you would see at these trade shows? Like help people be there. Like you'd see you'd see people doing really lewd stuff at parties for a while. That mm. was that was fun. Yeah. Um you'd it would be a, like gossip central. Like you'd hear I, I mean maybe all trade shows are like this, but it was like gossip was part of the air and oh, half sure. of it was wrong anyway. Mm. But there was like everything from scandal sexual, financial, impropriety, all kinds of stuff. You'd hear all these rumors. It would be nuts. I mean, I'd he- people would come up to me and say things about me. And I was like, no, that's not true at all. I have no idea where you hear that. And they'd have this look on their face like, aha, I knew they were lying. Like, <laughs> it, that was constantly going on all the time. Because again, this is a political environment. And when you put everyone together, it, the, the electricity of all this gossip that hasn't happened. Because remember, a lot of these people you only see once a year or a few times a year. So you have to make so much out of that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, David, for example, like I would only see him like two or three times a year. I haven't seen him in longer now. You know, these are parts of my team that I work with on a regular basis. The fact that this is such a remote industry meant that these several days of being together, you had to get a lot out of your system. And so people mm. were, you know, there's a lot of electricity in there. You'd hear people screaming in meetings. You'd see weird looks on people's mm. faces. I mean, it was like, 
we what do we say all the time? We always said you need to show or have like a reality show because this is so hilarious. I mean, for you and I, other than the watches, I think that it was like we were in a weird comedy show and we felt very privileged that we didn't have to write any jokes. Laughter was happening around us. Yeah, constantly. It was it was basically like a huge and hugely expensive school excursion day or week. You know, just just the whole kinds of all kinds of adventures and nonsense and gossip and just like you say, uh, there was this element that you just highlighted, which I think is really great because I took it so granted, like such an obvious you know, part of this whole thing that, you know, if we didn't say, how would people know who have not gone there? But actually, it's it's all true. It's all true. And it, it, you could feel this from the first day until the very last day and then just the ripple uh, ripple effect like afterwards, like for the le- next couple of weeks after. Do you, do you remember the Basel world where we met with Schwarzenegger? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay, so... Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's a big watch guy, uh, it was gonna. It was told to me before the show. Arnold Schwarzenegger was coming coming out with an Arnold Schwarzenegger watch brand. It was like, wow, really? Okay, and and he wants to meet you uh, and to show you the collection, and we'll let you debut it. I was like, wow. So I we got to debut it, and I got to meet Arnold, and I'm such a big Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. It was amazing, and I mean, he was unbelievably impressive. They invited us to this dinner thing afterwards. The brand never came out. Yeah. <laughs> the watches were not sellable. And it was amazing because it was like, that's the absurdity. Like, Mr. Schwarzenegger wants to meet you to show off his new watches, which he ends up being awesome. His watches end up being unsellable. You enjoy the entire thing, but it's <laughs> this weird story that, you know, like, you know, you remember that time Arnold Schwarzenegger almost came out with his own brand? Yeah. It was made by this this Brazilian company yes. and it was not very clear why he was working with them to begin with. It was such a weird thing with so much mystery hmm. that, you know, it's like, I can't write these stories. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this, this comes in my inbox. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'll, I'll see what this is all about. And I write about it and I get some pictures with someone who's like my hero. And again, no watches ever even come of it. No, but this is a Basel world trade show experience. It is because there was the booth. There was Schwarzenegger with like the bodyguards and just constantly surrounded by press and just cameras and flashes and stuff. And then we go into this room in one of these booths, which was basically for his brand. And there's, there was this suitcase of all kinds of different watches, each at least 50 millimeters in <laughs> diameter. They, they were basically like soldiers with like handles. It was really great. But then I remember he would stick his hand out and you could, you know, we, we have this amazing picture of like your hand and then his hand and it's like twice the size, you know, and just to, to, Yeah, he's got really big hands. Yeah, and wrist like trunks and, you know, basically, of course, he would have to have like 50 or 55 millimeter watches. And, you know, it was, I think that the, that the point was to market these watches to bodybuilders, right? Yeah, Schwarzenegger fans and bodybuilders. Yeah, that, that that's that was the idea. I remember, and they, you know, maybe it didn't work out or something like that. But anyway, it totally happened, and then we have not heard a single word from them ever again. So, um, yeah, that that's just the way it goes, and it's just one of those things. Um, yeah, and and you know, I mean, the, there's there's experiences at parties. I mean, I just remember. You know, there'd be nights like three, four in the morning where I'm stumbling back home and people don't realize like there was no resting hours. Like we would we would work, work, work and socializing is something we'd have to squeeze in. And I'd be I'd be stumbling home and I'd hear someone call Ariel and there'd be someone at some bar which is still open that knows knows me. And it's some independent watchmaker. And like by day, they're selling three hundred thousand dollar watches by night. They're drunk and screaming stupid things. (laughs) 
you know, and, and that's something that you got a lot of at the shows. Once, once social media started, people really started to shut up a lot. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of mm-hmm. interesting because when I first came, I would basically take my pictures, go to my computer, edit stuff, upload it to my website. And that's how people were seeing it. Social media wasn't as much a thing. But at some point in what we did, things changed where you, 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 could, you could upload media to the internet immediately you know, on Instagram or something like that. And you can capture high quality media, you know, unbeknownst to others. Because 10 years ago, you would have needed like a video camera or a, or, a, or, a, or an actual camera to take good pictures and, and good video and stuff like that. You could take, you know, your phone out and just record something. But, you know, most of the time it would be just so terrible in terms of like video. You, If you go to a dark bar with a 10-year-old phone, you're not going to take, you know, a, a, a high quality video where anyone can make out, you know, what's happening. But today... You know, you just pull it out, you just you capture it, you throw it online, and then it's it's all you know it's all kinds of problems. I remember when this was just these crazy parties and at the Kempinski and all these other places where, you know, a large number of CEOs and and owners and stuff like that were just there, just off their faces. And you know, it's it's better for the industry that nobody <laughs> took a video there. I guess you know, so yeah, well, yeah that, that's yeah. what it was. But it's fine. We are all human. We all like to have a good time and. And I feel like, you know, uh, social media is ruining a lot of these things. And uh, I guess, you know, the, the nightlife during Basel and, and SIHH is one of those things, too. Well, I mean, for us, from a very practical matter, it changed how we did our jobs because it wasn't that we would rush back and write about something and be the first to get it up. We very rarely were the first to get something up because the brand itself would announce it on social media and sort of try to do our jobs for us. I always hated that they did that. It was so, so stupid. They were so just so they're so greedy with everything, you know, like that they had to, why they have to debut it themselves. That they're literally trying to like push aside the media that had worked very hard for them. And again, it's just, they're not really thinking about it. Um, but we would have to go with hands-on coverage. It was high quality reviews. That's where the value started to come in. And I'm really happy that there, there continue to be a lot of value in the professional take on the watches, but our, our, our role changed because we used to literally introduce these to the world uh, for the first time. And we still do that a, a lot of the time now. But, you know, it was very different when, you know, retailers themselves are just, you know, popping phone pictures and putting them online right away. Yeah, that's, that's all true. Um, all right. I think this this was a good look back and an interesting, interesting look back. And, you know, just I think we, we can have a positive attitude towards the future of, of watch trade shows. It's never going to be the same. It's never going to be like it was five years ago or, or 10 years ago. Um, hopefully you will not be banned again from any, any of these, <laughs> but yeah, I, look, that, but that's a fine thing. That would never happen now. You know what I mean? Like that would never happen now. Like that story about me trying to be taught a lesson by someone at Richemont or whatever happened like that, that wouldn't happen these days. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it, it's, they tried that. They realized it was silly. And, you know, I had to be that Guinea pig, you know, I had to be the martyr there, but their their entire attitude has has changed in a lot of ways, and again, I think that they learned relatively quickly. But for a very very long time, they were quite backwards and quite behind. And I do think that the next era of watch trade shows, because they have sort of been killed and are now being resurrected, I think they're going to be more modern. And I'm worried a little bit that some of the extravagance and excess is going to go away probably at least temporarily, maybe even permanently. What do you, what do you think they're going to be like? Do you think they're going to be, you know, 
just as fun? Are they going to be different? Like, what, yeah. what do you think is going to change? I think when you when you say extravagance and and excess, I think you mean the buzz. You know, it's not about the champagne or you know just the the, the, the expensive orange juice or whatever nonsense that they're serving. It's it's more about it's more about the buzz that you go there and and you see all these people just running around, just having this crazy time for the for the next couple of days. Everyone's just all you can say is just high, and then you go like you know run across the the island. You go to from one fancy brand to the other, and then you know from the second fancy brand to G Shock, and then to Citizen, and then back to like whatever. And and it's just it's just this crazy overdose of watches and watchmaking and watch brands at the same time. Like it, it, on the same day, you could see uh three hundred thousand dollar you know Jacques Row chiming bird automaton, and then you know right after that, you could see the latest G Shock, and you would be exactly just the same as excited about both of them and it would happen within the same two hours you know so there was this overdose element that came from the versatility of the brands and this was obviously missing from sihh watches and wonders because it's all just fancy brands basically but at basel there was this this extra component to it which just made it this amazing way of experiencing everything watches and watchmaking and i i really do hope that that thing is going to happen again in one way or another. That would be really great. What I miss is the total escape of it all, where you'd go there and you'd literally have no idea what's going on mm. in the rest of the world. That's you true. didn't care. You didn't want to know. Um, you were sort of absorbed in it. You were really whisked away to this other universe, so remote <clears throat> from anything real. And that's actually kind of like the fact that Basel was like that because it wasn't a modern city. Nothing ever changed there. Like if you were in New York, that would pull attention away from anything else you were doing. The city itself pulls a lot of attention. Vegas yeah. pulls attention. There's nothing to pull your attention in Basel away from the show. Maybe the fact that the restaurants and supermarkets close at like 4 p.m. and you, you, you will not be able to buy any food after like yeah it's you, you, you know there's not it's not a lively city geneva's similar so the show would be your 24 7 it was all encompassing there was always something to do always someone to meet and it was a wonderful escape it was i wouldn't call it a vacation because it was extremely arduous yeah, extremely arduous yeah. but it was this necessary escape. Why do you think we needed that? You know, is it just, was it just to have a variety? Was it just to have escape from our world for a little while? I don't think we needed that. I, I don't think this is an option. This is not a choice. If, 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 if we went to Basel, where we knew that we would be just there and nowhere else in our minds and not just physically, but, but, you know, mentally as well. It's just, you go there for six days, seven days, eight days, and it's just a blur and it's really great. And even on the third day, you don't know if it's your fourth day or your second day or whatever the hell is going gone and like you say you're disconnected from the rest of the world unless it's world war three breaking out and you you wouldn't know you have no idea you know what is going on and that's great and you don't want to know because you know it requires all your energy and all your concentration and i remember that we would basically most all of the days technically all the days we would stay after closing hours so there there came a point where if you left you they would not let you back in but if you were already in there, you could stay for yeah. as long as you wanted. And they would start yeah. cleaning the holes and just, and they couldn't kick you out, but they would never for the life of them let you back in once you stepped out. So, you know, we had to find all these like funny ways of going from one hole to the other when it was all closed, but we still had meetings and, and stuff to do. So that was really great. I'm just smiling right now, thinking about all the antics and all the ridiculousness. And it was, you know, all those challenges that, that gave us, those experiences, you know, I, it was really about the challenges. You remember the the watches we did with Eterna 
and they said the the war of Basel yeah, World, exactly. whatever it was, 2017 or something yeah. like that. I mean, we really saw this as us being soldiers fighting because it was hard. We had to be physically in shape. It was really draining. We had a lot of stuff to carry, hours and hours and hours of all this stuff. Um, to be clear, our you know, lives were not on the line, but it, 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 it's it's fun to over-dramatize it a little bit, that's for sure. And Look, it was a competition with others. Hmm, that's true. That's so Look, true. it was we had to have stamina, endurance. We had to basically sleep very little. We had to work straight without any breaks. We had to be social. We had to be workers. We had to be photographers, writers. We had to do so much. I mean, it is a war because we're constantly fighting little battles all the time. Yeah, it's it's entirely unsustainable. I, I remember uh, with your crazy hours as well, it took me literally two or three years before I could figure out that I have to go to bed early in the evening and or early meaning midnight <laughs> or 1 a.m. or something <laughs> like that. And then, and then I can wake up at like 5 or 6 or 7 or something like that, 5 or 6, and get work done then. And I can get three times the amount of work, editing, writing, photography done early in the morning than in the evening when I'm just, you know, just, just phasing out. So, but you're wired up exactly the other way. I think you can go for, you know, like extra three, four, five hours into the night when I'm already passing out, but it took me a long time to, to work this out. So we all had to like <laughs> adapt to our own little like clocks, body clocks and, and, and the ways that we, we have our uh, energy, you know, um, come back to us. So, so yeah, but we worked it all out and that's great. And, uh, yeah, and I'm so ready for the next one. I really wish I could go to Vegas actually with you guys. Not a single, I'm thinking not a single Basel world went by without me falling asleep on the keyboard. Oh yeah, happened every course. single time. Even even if it was for a few minutes, I'd literally pass out, and then my my goal was to finish the article or whatever. And I like I wouldn't stop, but I would routinely pass out from exhaustion. I have this really amazing sequence of images that you basically just slide down the chair and you fall asleep, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and you try and get, take up a lying position as much as possible in a chair and you're sleeping. And we are already in the process of setting up a video recording. So you knew that you would be on video in like the next 15 minutes, but you slowly fall asleep. Like every two minutes, I would take a picture. It's just absolutely hilarious. Uh, I, you know, that, that was, that was I mean, fun. But stuff. you can relate, right? You can relate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 100% <laughs> I can relate. I remember like there'd be times where, you know, I feel like we're like on the subway in some densely packed city in Asia where we'd have like, okay, we have five minutes of nothing to do. Everyone close your eyes. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, um, exactly. And, but we were always energized because there was always caffeine and sugar around the corner. And like watches. we couldn't go 15 feet. Yeah, I mean, but it was, and people would know us, and people would recognize us, and that was part of the fun. It was we had like cheerleaders. You know, hmm. we always felt like there was somebody rooting for us yep. to do it. People That's would say, true. "Go out there, keep the energy up." Hmm. Like you remember, like we, we felt we felt like there were we were cheerleaders at all angles yeah exactly there there was just a bunch of people cheering us on all day long everywhere we went which which felt great it was just so great to to, to get that kind of support and this was still within the industry because it was only during the last couple of years that that Basel where we start selling tickets and make public days a thing and and you know, people would go there but you know it was just the tickets were expensive and the whole thing was not really set up for well, no, visits, Basel, right? Basel was open for the public for a long time. It was oh, okay. SIHH that, that opened it recently. Oh. But yeah, you, you could spend money to go to Basel World as a member of the public. It was not cheap. It was like 
nearly a hundred dollars and you couldn't see any watches <laughs> like you could only, well you could you could see some you couldn't touch any if you did you'd have to ask it was sort of this weird thing and i never know i just never understood why people spend so much money to basically you can go you can walk through a mall and see stuff through you know glass for free yeah exactly i, I remember a bunch of people asking like should i go on my own money to shh or Paulson? about shh it wasn't sure because it was still a new thing but i would tell them the chances of anyone handing you any watch and you having any hands on time with what crazy watch or another are basically zero. So it's much better if you go to Dubai or you go to one of these big, big, you know, watch buying places in the world or go to Hong Kong or New York or London and just go to, you know, fancy boutiques and, you know, there you will have a much better time and a much better chance of seeing and, you know, just going hands on with actual watches. These trade shows were just totally not set up for that. And that's all good. That's fine. But but it is true that, you know, back to the point, it, fellow industry folks were just cheering us on. And that, that was great. You know, just a bunch of small but high energy, very positive uh, interactions. That's that's all true. And at places like SIHH, we'd have to do things like ask permission to not attend dinner. Um, because we'd be assigned oh, yeah. these dinners that we'd have to go to. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And they were and they were great dinners. But the problem was they they sort of conflicted with our need to get work done. <laughs> and so sometimes I'd have to be like, can I leave early or not? At all? We'd have to ask permission, and they'd be like, mm, okay, well we'd really we really prefer that you stayed here. And it was, you know. It was always something hilarious about being treated like a child, but everyone was treated the same way, so you just kind of put up with it. And, you know, that Basel World was very much in us independent, but SIHH was more, like I said, it's like being at someone's party. Yeah, exactly. And 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 it's all, all true, but it has to be said at SIHH, we <laughs> wanted to leave to edit images and write about the washes of the brands who were inviting us for dinner. So it's not like... We wanted to go yeah, to have dinner with true. somebody else. It was not like you were cheating on the brands or anything like that. We just wanted to, you know, you guys. Yeah, they always acted that way. Yeah. Are you going to go talk to someone at another brand? No, I'm exhausted from shooting your watches all day. <laughs> and we still have to go back and put like the next six or eight hours or whatever as a team into just getting all these things online to our audience because the audience does not give a damn about us having a fancy dinner or whatever with all the others. No, what they care about is yeah, seeing like, hands-on like, pictures of the new watches. There were a lot of people that went and just sort of enjoyed the hospitality, and that was great, but they they didn't last very long. You wouldn't see them very many times. Like The sad thing for me was that there were all these amazing opportunities to have nice dinners and nice social instances and hang out, but I never got to do it because as a media professional, my job was to write and edit as much as possible. And so I feel... You know, I, I feel a little bit that I missed out on some some great social instances, but I don't I don't miss the ones that I had. Okay, so let's wrap up the discussion about watch trade shows. I was sort of trying to share some of the stories about what it was like. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the landscape of trade shows, but I guess it's less less important. There are a few around there. The major ones are still in Switzerland. David and I are going to be returning to watch trade shows, as are others on the Blog to Watch team. Um, some of them, like the Hong Kong Watching Clock Fair, no idea if we'll be able to go. Um, I don't know when I'll be able to go to, to Europe. I don't know when some of the Europeans are going to be able to come here. These shows in Las Vegas, for example, are going to be primarily Americans. Um, and part of that is necessitated by the fact that the Geneva Watch Show is literally overlapping, so people couldn't travel even if they wanted to. So there's there's going to be more time before there's a sense of normalcy um, in the industry. I think that the last thing I'll say about it 
is the number one thing I've heard from people at watch brands, retailers, watch enthusiasts, is they miss the in-person part of this experience, this job, this industry. Being able to see people, sell in front of people, meet with people, see the product in person is such a crucial part of this lifestyle and this industry that it's going to come back. It's going to come back because so many people want to come back. So I think that knowing that, we will definitely see uh, a major return to in-person watch events. If they'll Mm. look like the past, I don't know. But I, for one, want them to be as absurd as humanly possible. I agree. It has to come back. Looking forward to it very much. Everyone, thank you for listening uh, to this episode of the Superlative Podcast. I'm Ariel Adams, joined by David Braddon of Blog to Watch, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?